Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, beginning with verse 3 through verse 8. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints, the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace and all its truth. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told you, told us of your love in the Spirit. Good morning, church. It's good to see each and every one of you here today. I hope that you have had the opportunity to pick up a, a bulletin. We want to uh, bring up a couple of the things that are there on the bulletin. Uh, we failed to mention about the nursing home singing. So don't forget about that today at 2 o'clock. Uh, I was thinking as I was looking at this, as always, there's a lot of things going on uh, with our church family. And so make sure that you uh, have the opportunity or that you're aware of the opportunity for this singing. You will always uh, leave there being encouraged and uplifted if you choose to be a part of this and uh, your your time will be uh, greatly beneficial to you and I know to those who are there sing, uh, listening to the singing. So if you can do that this afternoon at 2 o'clock, that would be appreciated. Also, don't forget, like Michael said, uh, the door knocking today, uh, 3 o'clock group. Uh, Michael, where's the 4 o'clock group going to meet? Tennessee Street Park. So if you want to, uh, if you want to uh, go at three, I think my, uh, John Dave, you're all meeting here at the building at three. Um, so if you want to go early, meet here at the building at three. If you want to go later, door knocking, meet at Tennessee Street Park at uh, four, and then also uh, be there at five thirty. We'll have a devotional uh, and and um, enjoy that time together as well. There will be an evening service here at six o'clock. If you're not able to door knock, uh, I want to encourage you to be at one of our one or. Both of the, one of those places, either uh, over the Tennessee Street Park or here at our building at 6. I, I want to say something about uh, the door knocking. If you haven't had the opportunity to be a part of that, last week was, uh, was wonderful. Um, and I appreciate the guys, those that were in charge of that. They had us sit around uh, after we had eaten. Uh, we had a few people come to the uh, pavilion over there at the fairground. Then we sat around and we told stories about our experience of knocking on doors. Now, as I think about that, um, how many of you enjoy knocking doors? <clears throat> There's a few of us, right? There's a few. Uh, but it can be kind of intimidating and kind of uncomfortable. I want to tell you that a lot of times I'm uncomfortable in that situation. But this, what we're doing here, is very, very easy. We're knocking on doors and we're asking those people, is there something that's going on in your life? Is there uh, something in your family that we can pray about or we can pray for you with? And as we sat around last Sunday night and heard those stories, it was amazing. It was encouraging. Let me share just a few of those with you. One of the ones that stands out in my mind Someone said they knocked on someone's door 
And this was a person that openly admitted they've been struggling with alcoholism. There was an open container of alcohol. And they said, you know, no one has ever knocked on my door and asked, could they pray for me? No one. You see, this is an opportunity to do something that no one is doing. A lot of people knock on doors and says, can I give you this? Can you come? We want to invite you to come and, and be at our church services. Which nothing wrong with all that, but no one, at least on this person's house and on a lot of the other houses that we went to, had ever knocked on a door and said, can we pray with you? So I share that with you to say, what is happening is a tremendous opportunity for God's people to pray like we've been talking about for individuals in our community. To let them know we are here, we are alive, and our God is alive. The God who hears. So we have a great opportunity. So I want to encourage you, if you've not taken advantage of that, please prayerfully consider doing so. Even if you just come to the park to experience the stories of those who go out. To hear what they have experienced. I want to encourage you to at least think about doing that. But I want to challenge you to think about maybe stepping out of our comfort zone a little bit and knocking on some doors and saying, can I pray with you? Here's an interesting thing too. We're going in some of our own neighborhoods. And I met some of your neighbors And they were very appreciative. And this is an opportunity maybe to interact with some neighbors that that maybe you haven't before. To just say, hey, we're here representing God, the people that meet at Savannah Church of Christ, and we want to pray with you. What an opportunity. So I want to challenge you to think about that. uh, To consider being a part of that this afternoon and the rest of this month. And also, consider coming to these places, if not just to help with food, but to hear the stories and to be encouraged by what God is doing through these efforts this month. I want to apologize. I, I, I gave Miss Debbie a, a topic and then I changed my mind on her. So what's in the bulletin is uh, not technically what we're going to talk about today, but we are going to talk about prayer. And what I wanted us to do after thinking about prayer is look at some prayers in Scripture. And we will get to what is typically called the Lord's Prayer in the next few weeks. But today I want us to think about a prayer that, that Paul had for the church in Colossians chapter 1. And thinking about prayer, I'm reminded of a story uh, of, a, of a young man who had been out Uh, He had been out hunting, and he found himself being pursued by a hungry lion. And as that lion was chasing him and breathing down his throat, he prayed as he was running. He said, Lord, please help this lion to be a Christian. And then he realized the lion had stopped his pursuit. And so thankfully he 
stopped and he turned and he looked over at the lion and he saw the lion bowing his head and moving his mouth in obvious prayer. And so in relief, but also desires to join the, the lion in pray, prayer and meditation, he walked over toward the lion and he heard the lion say, Oh Lord, thank you for this food which I'm about to eat. It's funny that is, it does remind us or can remind us that prayer is important and prayer is powerful. No doubt Paul spent much time in prayer for Christians. Paul spent much time in prayer for the church, universal. But Paul spent time specifically in prayer for those churches that he worked with. And I want you to notice, as Ray read for us, Paul's prayer and how it begins. Look at verse 3. We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. And he prayed about bearing fruit. Since we've heard this, we've heard about the fruit that has been spread and produced as a result of what you're doing by the truth of the gospel and spreading the gospel. And the things that you are doing, and we are thankful, and we continue that. Uh, but we're going to notice his continued prayer beginning in verse 9 in just a minute. But I want you to think about something. I want you to think about how Paul felt about the churches, specifically the church at Colossae. And how he was specific in his prayers. And we'll look at some of those. But I want to ask us the question. Are we praying for the church? As we pray, and I know we do, we pray about a lot of things, but are we praying for the church? Are we praying for the church universal? And then what about the church locally? What is our prayer for the church? What is our prayer for the church here at Savannah? Is my prayer anything like Paul's that we'll see? Or is my prayer for my benefit? Notice what Paul says his prayer was beginning in verse 9. For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. We do not cease to pray for you, the church. And to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to His glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy. That was Paul's prayer for the church. For the church specifically at Colossae. That's his prayer. Those are the things that he was praying for. And isn't it interesting? Isn't it interesting that he prays specifically for some of the same things he's already commended them for? 
We've heard this. We've heard what a good job you're doing. And then in his prayer, he specifically prays for some of the same things. Look at the first place. One of the first things that we note or that we see, Paul prays that they walk worthy of the Lord. Now, this idea of walking, uh, we understand Paul saying that they, not that they are still, that they walk, that they're moving. It has the idea of moving forward. Paul also told the church at Corinth this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? You therefore run in such a way that you may obtain it. Now, I know most of us, not all of us, but a lot of us enjoy college football. Uh, a lot of, some of us may enjoy baseball. Uh, some of us may enjoy soccer. Some of us may enjoy uh, uh, the Olympics, track and field, swimming, other kind of things. When you think about those athletes, what, every one of them, what are they training for? They're training to win, right? And Paul says, just like in those games, those runners, they run in such a way to obtain the prize. And Paul is challenging the church at Corinth, you therefore run the spiritual race in such a way to obtain the prize. Live your life like Christ. He goes on, he says, anyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now, they do it to obtain a perishable crown. You know, come January when they crown a national champion for college football. If it happens to be our team, boy, we're excited. But in the grand scheme of things, what's going to happen? It's not going to matter. Whoever wins the World Series or the Super Bowl or the Olympics, whoever gets the most gold medals, in the grand scheme of things, that's not going to matter. And Paul says they do it to get a perishable crown. But we, we live this way. We run this kind of race for an imperishable crown. One that actually does matter. See, Paul may be saying to the church of Colossae, it's not just about punching the spiritual time clock. Oh, I went to church. Man, I even did some door knocking. But it's about a way of life. How am I running every single day? The idea of worthiness, walking worthy, it carries with it the idea of possessing worth or suitable. So in other words, we live our lives to be suitable to God. Uh, Notice what one person said. One commentator said this, Acting in a worthy manner was important to Paul. He wrote, I 
implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. He did not mean that Christians walk in such a way as to be deserving of God or worthy of God's gifts. All Jesus' disciples, like Paul, are what they are by the grace of God. Those whose lives reflect the glory of God are walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. A politician who lies, cheats, and fails to carry out the duties of his office is not acting in a manner worthy of his office. Christians who are not trying to walk as Jesus walked are not walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. And then this guy goes on and says, the idea of living in a worthy manner was similarly stated by Paul in Philippians 1.27 and 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 12. And I want you to notice what those verses say. Philippians 1.27, Paul says, only let your conduct, that's your manner of life, be worthy of the gospel of Christ. That's our goal. You ever wake up one day and well, I wonder what's going to happen today. wonder what today's going to hold. Well, we don't know. But what's our goal? What's our plan? Our goal is that our life reflects the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in a world filled with so much wickedness, that's not always easy, is it? But that's our goal. First Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 12, Paul says, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into His own kingdom and glory. And I always like to follow those things up by saying, He's not calling us to walk or run or live in perfection. Because the reality is that's impossible. But if that's our goal, wow, who will see my life, my run, my walk, my actions in Jesus Christ? Oh, what a difference! that will make. Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4 verses 7 through 9, but reject profane and old wives' fables and exercise yourself toward godliness. For bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having a promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. Our world is crazed with exercise and nutrition. And even Paul says, hey, a little of that is good. But he says, godliness is profitable for all things. You see, those people who work hard for a trophy... Are to be the top team? Are to be the top athlete in the world? 
they have some they have some real struggles. They have some tough days. They have some days that they want they don't want to keep on going. They have some days that they're embarrassed because of uh, of the day's activities. Yet they keep at it. They keep on keeping on. They get back up. And in a sense, Paul challenges his listeners to do the same. Because Paul did. And he ultimately said, Jesus is my goal. Jesus is my example. And though I may not be perfect, that's the example I am striving for, that I'm living for. So let us be aware of that as we interact with people, as we talk to people, as we talk to other people about other people. Let us be weary. And let us be mindful of the power of how we live. That was Paul's prayer for the church. That's the way he encouraged them and challenged them to live. What is our prayer for the church? Let us pray that we all will walk worthy of the Lord. But Paul also said, prayed that they be fruitful in every good work. Uh, We understand fruitful means to multiply. In fact, God told man and woman at the beginning of time, didn't He? Uh, Genesis 1 and verse 28, to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Fill the earth, multiply, grow. If you have a chance, turn your Bibles or your electronic device to the book of John chapter 15. John chapter 15, a famous passage of Scripture here. Uh, speaking of Jesus, speaking of the, the true vine and the branches. And I want you to notice how this text reminds us about bearing fruit. Paul's prayer for the church is that they, they were to bear fruit. In other words, do not stay where you are. Paul might say, I know it's comfortable, I know you feel safe there, but do not stay where you are. Seek to grow. John chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, He prunes. Ever do any pruning? I think about those poor trees and those poor bushes. We do that cutting on. Oh, that must feel horrible. But why do we prune them? Why do we cut them back? So it grows more, right? That it may bear more fruit. You, verse 3, are already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. Jesus reminds His listeners of the importance of staying connected to the branch. Staying connected to Jesus Christ so that we can bear fruit. 
raises the question in my mind, what does fruit look like? Well, we don't have time to go into all that, but fruit looks like a number of different things. It could be bearing fruit is teaching people the gospel, leading people to Jesus. That's a form. But it also could be that tomorrow, because of my connectedness to Jesus Christ, because of continuing to read and study His Word, that my faith is stronger tomorrow than it was today. That can be a form of bearing fruit. A form of bearing fruit might be that somebody that I come across at work or at school is going through some difficult times. And because I'm seeking to stay connected to Jesus Christ and I'm trying to live my life worthy of the gospel and I know how Jesus treated people, that I treat that person with decency and respect. And even if they bite my head off, Maybe it is they later come back and thank me for treating them with respect and decency. And that's an open door. That may be a form of bearing fruit. Lots of different things. Here's some fruit that Paul says in Galatians chapter 5. You know what he says uh, in speaking of the fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such there is no law. And we share these things with the people who many times do not deserve it. But let us ask ourselves a question. Do I? And God has given it to me. Let's in the same way bear fruit by giving those things to others. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Someone has written, Works are good only when they spring from the principle of love to God. The moral character of an act is determined by the moral principle that prompts it. Faith and love in the heart are the essential elements of all true obedience. Hence, good works only spring from a believing heart can only be wrought by one reconciled to God. Good works have the glory of God as their object. We do those good things because of God, not because of us. They have the revealed will of God as their only rule. Good works are an expression of gratitude in the believer's heart. They are the fruits of the Spirit, we've already mentioned, and thus spring from grace which they illustrate and strengthen in the heart. James would remind us, do good works because of your faith. Do good works because of what God has done for you and in your life. Are we being fruitful? And then finally, Paul prays that they increase in the knowledge of God. Jesus would say in John 17 and verse 3, and this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent.
There's a lot of people. We've talked about it in our class this morning. There's a lot of people serving the wrong God. Paul prayed that the church at Colossae would walk worthy of the Lord, bear fruit, and grow in their knowledge of God so that others can know the one and true God. By studying, seeking to know God, how can this help us? In the King James Version, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15, the Bible says, Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. John, Jesus would say in John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32, Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed Him, If you abide in My word, you are My disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Peter would say to his readers in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 and 16, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. Our world needs hope. What's going on with all the storms? Why are people shooting people in churches and in open door venues? Why are people doing that? Because they likely do not know God. And Paul prays that the church, in the midst of a wicked generation, to know God. And the more we know God, the more we share God and who God is. And the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Sir George Adam Smith tells of a story when they were climbing a mountain in the Swiss Alps. And this was a particularly windy, stormy day. And so as they go up the mountain, they're on the sheltered side of the mountain. So they're blocked from the fierce winds. Yet when they get up to the top, Sir George, they're so excited, Sir George stands in exhilaration because they made it to the top. And because he forgot about those winds, he was almost blown over to the glacier below. And the guide grabs him and jerks him down. And he says, Sir, on your knees. Here. The only place that you're safe is on your knees. Paul would say, in addition to being in Jesus Christ, of course, the safest place for the child of God in Christ may likely be on our knees. What is our prayer for the church? Universal and locally. Paul prayed that they walk worthy of the Lord. Paul prayed that they bear fruit. 
that they grow individually and collectively as a body. And Paul prayed that they grow in the knowledge of God because that's bearing fruit. And the more they know God, the more they want to share God and who He is. Maybe you're here today. Maybe you're here today and you're asking, what in the world is going on in this world? There's so much wickedness. Paul would say, the safest place is on our knees. Because people are dying senselessly. And some of those people are dying senselessly without God in their life. And Paul prayed that the church live in such a way so that that's not always the case. What can we do? We can pray. We can pray for those individuals in those situations. And we can pray that God will use us to be lights either to those people or to the people we already come in contact on a daily basis. And maybe it is here, you're here today and you need our prayers for your life because there's some real struggles going on in your life. Paul prayed for the church. Paul also would encourage the church to pray for one another. And we stand right here ready for you. Maybe it is you're not in Jesus Christ today. Have you given Him your life? It's our prayer today that if you haven't, that you will. As together we stand and sing.